Today's episode of Into the Van is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you can always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast into the van in how did you hear about Podco section of the application. Rogue Radio, now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Into the Van. I am Mike West and I can't thank you enough for tuning in and listening. Um, today's podcast is with Luke Hendrickson. I'm a big fan of Luke's. He's a Minnesota-based musician that I met through the powers of the internet. And he's such an interesting and great guy. And he brought out this new album called One Night at the Crystal Lounge, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I know you need to listen to this record. So if you can go over to his Bandcamp, you can pick up the vinyl. You can go over to Spotify or wherever you stream music. It's there. And Luke is definitely one of those songwriters you need to pay attention to. He has this country sound that is so warm and welcoming and familiar but new and fresh and exciting and it was an absolute treat to get to talk to Luke today I don't know why but at the one hour 20 minute mark onwards for some reason the audio has turned into making a murderer style Brendan Dassey confession audio and I have no idea what happened to it but that's towards the end of the podcast so stick around and stick through it because we make some great points and it's a great conversation once again and for always we are brought to you by my record the next life the reception to it's been so amazingly positive that i'm so thankful to everyone that's listened and reviewed and bought copies and told their friends and shared it and word of mouth is always the most important thing for music for podcasting for art whatever it is so be sure that if you give a shit about this podcast or you give a shit about my music be sure to tell your friends because that's how I find most of my music. That's how I find most of my podcasts is listening to my friends' recommendations. So please recommend The Next Life to your friends. I'm going to drop a track in here now. And we'll fly Or don't, that's fine And I think I see This ain't about me For all we are Is all we are And all we can do I think we're at a crossroad once again Wish it was with someone other than my best friends My head is telling me I have to go My heart is wishing that it ain't Left. I'll go right and I'll catch you in the next life Go left, I'll go right and I'll catch you in the next life And I really hope you dig that. Tell your friends with anything, with music, with podcasting, with art, with independent businesses everything is mainly the most important thing is word of mouth a lot of the things i found was because of my friends recommended me i recommend a lot of things to my friends so if you dig the next life if you dig into the van go tell your friends about it i know you are gonna dig one night at the crystal lounge by luke hendrickson so without further ado this is episode 17 of into the van with mike west and luke hendrickson Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. 
thank you so much for uh, doing this, man. I'm a big fan of uh, One Night at the Crystal Lounge and your music and everything. It's been really, you know, the evils of social media have been touted since social media has been around. And it's obviously there are these huge glaring problems we have to deal with as a society when faced with social media. But the thing that I've absolutely adored from it is I've got to meet people like yourself. I've got to meet like Noah Alexander from the Plot Hounds. And there is that level of connectivity that I'd hate to see go at the loss of social media and things. Yeah. <laughs> was there a question in that? I was just listening well, to you explain. <laughs> with social media, do you find that the problems of social media and the negative things outweigh the good of it really? Cause I know obviously oh. you connected with friends like Josh Bettis and we've connected obviously through overseas and stuff. So we've got this amazing gift yeah. of being able yeah. to find musicians and people from all over the world that we admire and are fans of. But at the same time, it's obvious how degrading it is to society. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, especially when you, when you lead into it like that, I mean, I, I, I would feel bad if I said the, the bad always the good because like you said i get to meet you guys and, and just any number of people from all over the world and in this country and uh it's all you know it's all in how you personally handle it mm. you know uh i guess social media i've probably been around it for what what years 15 years you know with myspace and then facebook and mm. all that and so yeah i think we're you know at this age probably evolving right along with it you know but i i, I noticed some some uh bad you know traits and patterns in myself when using it you know and letting stupid arguments and stuff you know drive me crazy and this mm -hmm. and that and you know arguing with strangers <laughs> about things so i've really tried to tone that all down because at the end of the day uh for me it's got to be about the music and that's become the last couple of years especially since i kind of went full-time with this it has been overwhelmingly positive mm -hmm. <clears throat> to come around to that the social media because for many reasons it's allowed me to travel it's allowed me to play music and share my music with others and mm -hmm. hear music from, from so many other people so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna choose to say that the, the good is outweighing the bad but that might not be true for <laughs> in all cases yeah i think there's a lot of people and i see it on my timeline with like my mates and things and they get dragged into every single online battle and i try and tell them to just just delete them just like block them delete them, move on. And I get the argument that it's like their obligation to call out what they see as reprehensible. If someone is being obviously like racist or bigoted on social media, then there is a moral obligation to try and like confront them. But at what point is that confrontation just going to diminish your own mental health? And I'm a lot, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm a lot more on the side of fuck them now and just like block them, delete and just carry on with my life because everyone kind of argues on Twitter and thing about like people getting kicked off Twitter for whatever they say and stuff. And I always kind of, you obviously freedom of speech is a huge and important thing, but that doesn't mean you're free of consequence. And that doesn't mean you right. have every single platform available to you to do that. So if they think that getting blocked on Facebook, so impingement on their freedom of speech, I couldn't really give a shit because Facebook right. is a corporation <laughs> and I don't have to have you on the page and account I've set up to hear your bullshit. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah I've, I've definitely just learned to sort of just skim over things and, and, and let some stuff go and just not get dragged into it. Cause I, I've definitely done that in the past and, and uh, yeah, so I feel a lot better, mm. you know, letting stuff go and just focusing on, on the music. And with like social media, so you went being a musician full time. Was there a conscious shift in how you viewed social media as a tool? Like, was there anything you specifically went, I need to focus on this now for my social media, or I need to try and connect to this? Or did you have like, I want to hit a thousand followers on X? Uh, pretty much none of that. I, I just kind of, it, the way I used it changed along with, I mean, I was learning as I, as I, as I went, as I still am learning as I go. Um, I mean, I've, I've been promoting music stuff on there for well, pretty much forever. Cause I've been in different bands and mm. stuff, but it was never a, it was, you know, come see a Saturday night. It was never a full-time thing, you know, and it was never, I was never putting out my own music 
to share. So no, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, like I'm, I have like a marketing background and I go to like as many seminars and webinars and meetings as I can, because I love trying to wrap my head around not necessarily the manipulation of people on social media, but how people get engaged on social media is a really interesting thing. And the most infuriating thing for me has always been if you post your music that you've put your heart and soul into six likes, if you're lucky, you post a picture of a dog or just something and it just goes basically viral. And you're like, where the fuck were you when I dropped this video? Right. No, totally. I mean, everybody's contending with that. And then it makes you feel pretty helpless, you know, because then you can either, I've seen that and then I've tried to, you know, post something different with a little bit different wording or put a different, uh, you know, something that stands out visually or whatever, but I haven't seen been able to pinpoint what the heck I'm, I'm supposed to be doing that's going to make Facebook or Instagram, you know, happy or whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe I should, I should uh, have a seminar with you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been doing like copywriting for the bands and stuff. I really enjoy trying to get that across and that the most annoying thing was i did a load of copywriting for a few different musicians and then facebook changed the layouts and the templates and shit so everything i'd written basically got shit canned by mm. what they'd done and i was like how do i now adjust this to that because every time you try and get like a like foothold on social media they just change the goal pull like posts just slightly enough to like have to readjust everything you were doing sure. Yeah, that probably happens on all these platforms. Yeah. But I, I, I always wonder, would we have this issue if MySpace was the only thing we'd ever had? If, if we'd have just stopped at MySpace, how would have musicians and like social media progressed if everyone was just vying for that top 10 friend spots on MySpace? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's been, we've been a number of years remote from that. So that's hard to say. I don't know. I th- at the time, that was really good for music, or I felt like it was. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. That's, you know, 10 years ago or eight years ago, whatever it was. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember I, I, last week. Yeah. I don't know if it was big over your end, but there was a goth MySpace called Vampire Freaks. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> no. So like me and all like our little like metalhead mosher like community were all on Vampire Freaks as well as MySpace. And then Bebo popped up and it got too much. And I was just like, I'm fucking done with this. <laughs> Did you say Bieber? <laughs> Uh, Bebo, I think it was called. Was that one where it was on a Bluetooth or it was on a Blueberry? Is it a Blueberry or a Blackberry, the old phone that had like the keyboard? Oh, Blackberry, yeah. Yeah, Black- I think it was on like those, I think. And then they all just started popping up and you were like, three is too many. And now you're on like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And oh, yeah. yeah, having like a minimum of 10 accounts is like a good thing now. I don't know. I have a... I reluctantly joined Instagram and I, like a, two years ago and I'm still trying to figure I have, I barely, I forget about it sometimes. I've avoided Twitter entirely. I've never done, I don't know. Twitter for me is just a black hole. Like I use it to connect with like comic people and people I'm fans of, but outside of that, it, that is the biggest dumpster fire of a platform that I've seen so far. Kind of sounds like it. <laughs> just screaming into the abyss. Yeah. But you recently brought out one night, uh, is it, one night at the Crystal Lounge. Yeah, yeah. So when did you bring that out? Now was that May? When they came out in February. In February. And yeah. Was that your first record? Or did you bring out an EP before that? Yeah, EP. Yeah, it was my first full length record with the full production and all that. But yeah, I did do a, an EP before that. Mm. And what was the reaction when you brought out your first full album? Because I always kind of think everyone brings out EPs and that's like a great kind of like showing you first hand and being like this is what i'm capable of and then the full album seems to be like the big hill that's like this is where i'm planting my flag and this is what i'm going to be and like what's the reception been like for you since then? yeah i would say that's probably actually accurate because when i the ep that i did i mean it was a bunch it was songs that um i had had for a number of years before i was ever had any notion to to actually really record anything or try to try mm. to sell my own music or, or do anything like that so when i made that ep it was just like a few months prior i had it just made sense finally for me to because i was playing a lot of shows around here you know just mm. little local gigs at bars and breweries and it was starting to make sense financially so 
then I started booking out out of state a little more and then booked like a week tour and I thought, God, I got to have something. So I just recorded this little thing in my friend's basement, you know? Mm. And so that's all that was. I mean, I'm happy with it. And for what it was at the time, it's good. But coming to the full length album was like, yeah, you're right. It was a whole different thing. You know, I felt like I had a lot more to be proud of, mm. you know, because it was just a much more involved process. And uh, the reception was great. I mean, I, I think I did a Kickstarter, you know, like the crowdfunding mm. thing. And I think that I was kind of hesitant to even do that. Cause I, I don't know. I just, I don't like asking for stuff really too much, but once I talked to some people who had done it successfully and it made sense. So getting people on involved in the Kickstarter, you know, financially, I think that really helped generate some interest mm. and get people involved because once they can see the progress of that and they know they've got like a, you know, a little bit of a stake in it mm. in the project, I think it, it helped create a buzz. And um, yeah. And the, when we released it, I mean, it, it turned out really well. You no, know, I, I rented out this really nice venue here in town, a newer venue, state of the art, you know, good sound system and good venue. And it was, we sold a lot of tickets and it, and it went even better than I could have imagined. Um, so yeah, things were on track to go pretty good. And then a month later, you know, everything shut down. So yeah, well, I think that's like the hardest part. But then I think, cause I brought out an album in August and it's kind yeah. of lucky, not lucky. It's people say, why did you release it then? And it's like, well, what else am I doing? I can't gig. So I needed to do something. So this yeah, yeah. me and I assume yourself something to push. That's not just gigs. It's like, well, I, I do have a full album here that you can go listen to and enjoy it while I'm not yeah. playing any gigs. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to people who have, you know, from both sides of that, it's people who have stuff ready to go, but they go, I don't really want to release this now because I can't tour on it. And other people, I think like myself now, I've been writing other stuff and I, I have kind of a, a feeling about releasing something else soon ish is that, yeah, what else am I doing? Mm. I might as well try because otherwise I'm just, what just spinning my spinning my wheels mm. you know posting about the same songs i've already posted about and trying to promote things that i've already tried to promote you know mm. it's i think it's uh, beneficial if, for people to try to stay creative through all this you know yeah 100 so. 100 and going back to you know before the ep when was it you first started picking up like an acoustic because i know you had like metal bands and you were previously in those Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bands how long ago was it where you picked up an acoustic guitar and was like this is you know the countryside that i want to be able to get across yeah yeah well uh to that and probably about i think 2009 mm. when i started I'm trying to think of what it was i don't know in the early 20s i sort of latched on to to country music and i never really i always played bass and all the in the metal bands and stuff I was in and I never really dinked around with learning chords on a six string at all. And then, mm. I don't know, I, I, I was, you know, on my own time listening to a lot of old like Hank Williams and stuff and uh, singing it, you know, on my own. And then once I figured out that I could, you know, I guess I can sing this stuff. Okay. Maybe I want to play guitar with it. So I started to just practice in my bedroom and eventually I learned a few songs and I was putting, putting stuff on, on YouTube, so that's how I know what, what year it was, because you can go back on this old <laughs> YouTube account that I'm locked out of. I can't even get into it. But there's videos on there from like 2009 or something to mm. be singing out like a Dwight Yoakam song or something. And uh, yeah, about 2009. Oh, cool, man. I was going to ask, was it because you have a really distinctive voice that to me is like quintessential country, and it's got that like uniqueness and you know warmth and openness to it that's really receptive and it goes perfectly with the music but was it obviously coming from rock and metal bands i did the same thing and it's you have this bravado or idea of you need to get something across and openness and honesty is not really part of the metal you know front if you will so was it when did you start singing this type of stuff and being like oh this is more akin to what i actually sound like well, I mean, I guess I've always kind of separated the two because I never, like, I, I wasn't a singer in any of those bands either, you know. Um, but I did, I think, if I'm trying to think about what the, when I realized that the lyrics or the, the content 
you know, of some of this country music, how it related to me is when I finally gave it a chance. I mean, it was there all along. I grew up rural, you know, I grew up out in the middle of cornfields, you know, in Southern Minnesota. And, uh, but I just rejected country music as a, as a teenager, you know, I just, none of my friends listened to it and I wanted to listen to ACDC and Pantera and, you know, I get, I just didn't care. But once if something, a flip, a switch flipped, you know, and once it did, I don't know, I just latched onto it. The honesty, the, mm. the, for the most part, simplicity, you know, the realness just really, you know, struck me. Mm. It, it was a while, you know, probably a couple of years before I actually started to really write anything on my own. Um, and that's ever evolving yeah. too, you know, so. Interesting, man. And that's, it seems that the, like, there's been not a wave of people, but there has been a trend of metal fans and metal artists and metal influenced people going towards country music. And it's even, you look at people like Brent Cobb or Benjamin Todd and Robert Henry as well. He was in metal bands. And it seems to be there's like a trend or a wave happening of artists realizing that they can properly express themselves in country music. And I, I'm hoping because I've been on Twitter, which obviously is a dumpster fire, but I still, for some reason, <laughs> there I is there's always the, these negative connotations and perceptions of country music. And even I saw someone last in two days ago talking about country music not being for them and not enjoying it. I think it was like if you get of get rid of one genre, what would it be and why would it be country? And it was like, I commented on it and I commented on it with your track good with a gun. And I think I included um, Gangster Grass on it as well because they've just got the number one bluegrass record. And it seems to be, it just resonates. I think if you get to like maybe early 20s, that's when it hit me. And it's, I don't get why it's hitting at that age, maybe for certain people who had a metal background because it seems quite common now from the more different artists I speak to. Well, whether it's, you know, that's a thing I've noticed that for a long time. I mean, when I started going to uh, um, like Hank three shows, you mm -hmm. know, he used to play around, around the States quite a bit. And I saw him, I don't know, I think four times. And that was when it really hit me. You would go to these shows like, and um, he played his country set. Then he played this sort of middle of the road set. Then he played this all like thrash sort of like hardcore type of set. And, uh, there was old there was old people with cowboy hats and, and bolo ties and then there was leather jackets and mohawks and just normal looking people and ever since then you know when i discovered him and like lucky tub and jb beverly and some of those guys wayne hancock and some of those guys that were doing this underground you know in quotes country thing when it wasn't cool mm. you know uh it, it, the realness of it, I think, is what attracted like the metalheads and the punks and stuff. You know, there's, I think you're going to find the people who reject like the the pop country, the the radio stuff, are the same ones that probably reject the radio rock. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 whatever is popular now, uh, Five Finger Death, but you know all that stuff, the overproduced, over just the shit that they shove down our mm. throats, you know, on the radio, the same, the same 20 songs on a classic rock station, whatever it is, you know, I think being underground, the DIY, you know, I think resonates no matter what kind of music mm. you're playing. No, it's a, it's a really good point. And it just seems to be a trend, but so obviously so 2009, you start like, finding country music and what were those early songs like that you started writing maybe lyrics and things compared to this new record that you brought out now do, have you like gone back and listened to it and seen like an evolution or a change in your songwriting or have you got more introspective in your lyrics you know for better or worse i guess i never really I don't know if I've made any conscious conscious efforts to to be that introspective, you know, because I I don't I've never really I've also never really sat down and said, well, I'm going to write today, mm. I'm going to write a song, or I'm going to write two songs. It just kind of happens, um, and so I just try to keep it that way, as simple as organic as I can. I try not to think too much about it, 
I mean, it probably doesn't work for other people, but that's been the way it's pretty much worked for me. Um, I like to think that I'm getting better, you know, better being subjective, I guess. But no, to answer your short, no, I haven't really thought about it too much. Mm. <clears throat> I'm with this new album. How long have those songs been? gestating and how long have you been playing those songs before you put them down on the record sure actually funny enough the the first um let's see well, some were, were um relatively new some were a bit old the first song on there the, the um black hills boogie that was actually like the the first song that i ever wrote basically you know mm-hmm. I, I think i had messed around with some l- lyrics emo lyrical stuff when i was like 18 19 <laughs> But the first song that I actually wrote with the guitar with lyrics straight through, like I wrote that song in like, you know, not, I don't remember, but 2010 maybe. Uh, yeah. So that's on there. And then there were some songs like, yeah, what else? I think for all the tea in China and like Maggie in the morning, there were some of those that were written just a couple, like a month, couple months before we started mm. recording the album. You know, it was just sort of when it made, it just made sense for me to do it at that time. It was like I had a half a song here. I had a chorus here and I was like, all these books of stuff. And I thought, look, you got to get off your ass and put this stuff together, you know? Mm. So some, one was really old. Some were mixed mashed. Some were very new. So mm. Cool. Man. <clears throat> and with taking those songs from just you and a guitar and putting them to a full band for the record, what was, did you have rehearsals before you went in? Was it all? Like, how did you bring in, like, a band to get those songs and flesh them out into, like, what is on the record? Sure. Well, the um, the the guitarist, the one who handled all the electric guitars, John Neitz, he's somebody who I had been playing with uh, for a steady, let's see, about six months steady mm. um, before we started recording. And we have been gigging a lot. Like, I, I met him and dragged him on a three-day thing. And then so we've, we've sort of been all over the Midwest together before that and so those songs were constantly evolving you know mm. and it seems like all, all those gigs uh, playing my own songs you know were, were just were rehearsals in itself so that was how a gig mostly was as a, as a duo but then I did <clears throat> um and, and my the bassist Ryan Knutson he's an old friend of mine he was uh so I always trusted him and then the drummer, I didn't have a drummer, so I put out an ad, like on, on Facebook or something, and I answered it, and there was a local guy who we just hit it off right away. Mm. And so he was the only one that I didn't really know beforehand, and so I hired him mainly, you know, to because I knew I was going to record, and because I knew I had some, uh, some like, big outdoor gigs coming up, festival things that I wanted a drummer for. And so we did rehearse before we got into the studio Mm. but because i had never heard any of these songs that i had written with drums or with any of that stuff like i gave i gave them guys some liberties you know and i kind of let them come up with it like on their own Mm. and i didn't i didn't have to veto very much at all you know they just got good feel, you know, and I, and I think that made it fun. That made it because they play on the record, they get credit on the record. Why not give them some, yeah. you know, give them what they would let them permission to what they want to do, you know? And I think it probably made it a better record. Mm. Definitely, man. I know for mine, because obviously I'm the same as you, I'm just vocals and acoustic. And when I did this record, I was like, I want fiddle and I want pedal steel on it. And mm-hmm. I've never even sat down and thought about what melody or what additional instruments I'd actually want them to sound like or play with them. So when I sent them out, it was just, what do you think goes? Like I remember for Travis, who is in the States, I sent him an email with all the tracks on and I kind of wrote, not even a paragraph, like three sentences of this track is not like, I described him like a fucking toddler. I was like, this is dark. This is ominous. (laughs) I know what you mean, dude. Trying to describe your own stuff and trying to, yeah but it was also i was trying to be not as vague as possible but to give them enough of like a sandbox to do whatever they wanted because i you know if you're hiring out a musician and you listen to their track record you know they're gonna bring it so it was a really interesting thing to have them then come back and be like 
holy shit, I'd never even thought of it in this totally. way before. And then you see your own songs, not like they're your songs still, but they change slightly. It's like, I assume if you have- Yeah, a, absolutely. And it wakes up as a teenager and starts giving you shit. And you're like, I don't remember this from last time, but it's an interesting <laughs> and like fun dynamic to have. I Yeah, when you say that, it makes me think like it would it would almost be a disservice, you know, to the musician to say, you know, I don't even know what it would be. I want you to play this note, this note, this note, and this mm. note, and that's it. Well, I mean, I guess there's people for that, but I think it's a disservice to their talent, you know, yeah. and, and the work that they've put in and stuff. If you don't allow them a little bit of that creativity, because like you said, yeah, you let them do it. You hear it back and go, oh my gosh, I never could have thought of that. Or mm. So yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities are just endless, you know, <laughs> for the notes played and the and the snare hits. I mean, just all of it. Yeah. And it's, how long was like the rehearsal project for the record before you went in and recorded it? Um, again, it wasn't really, I would let's see, I knew Nate probably, probably just a couple months. I mean, but it wasn't even really strict rehearsals. I mm. mean, we rehearsed, we were rehearsing four gigs mm. knowing that we were going to record this stuff too. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty loose, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty loose and a little bit lackadaisical and a little bit aloof sometimes. So as much as I might've thought that I had a pretty good idea of how things were going to go when we got in there, it was a lot of going, working on the fly too. Mm. I mean, except for my stuff, the guitar and the vocal stuff is like, I know this. Yeah. You know, uh, but even if we probably, you know, would have rehearsed it, rehearsed it to death. I mean, I, I still would have probably just been like, hey, guys, do whatever you want, mm. you know. And how long was the recording session? Um, so I did, oh, I did five days in June. Um, and then I did another, like, day and a half or something. And must have been a... I don't know, September mm. or October or so. Yeah, something like that. And then I had to farm out some of the stuff like the pedal steel. He's up in like uh, Minneapolis area and there's a violin on the on the one track and she's down in Texas. Mm. So yeah. Cool, man. And with the recording, did you do it like as live as possible with all of you in the same room or is it like you vocals and guitar and then layering it? on it because i know for mine it was i did everything separately and it was really weird to have just the guitars and then sing over it and then start building up so i'm all i think for the next one i'm gonna i definitely want to play and sing at the same time and then try and get it as close to that as possible sure um yeah so no we did it in layers i did um just to get we to get the drum tracks first, you know, we did like these uh, scratch tracks, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I just sang and played. We knew we weren't going to keep those tracks, but we just you know, uh, to a metronome just to you know, so he had something to build the uh, the drum sound around. And then once that was done, then I did my actual uh, acoustic tracks. Um, and then no, then the lead guitar came in, and then the bass came in, and then all the other stuff. And then I sang my final vocals. Um, but I, I mean, I've never really done that before. So I was kind of willing. To, it, it was weird. It does feel weird. Mm-hmm. Like you said, to sing with this thing clicking in your ear and these headphones and you're in this secluded room where it's just like, I don't know. There's no air and I don't know. It's weird. But um, but the guys in the studio, you know, very professional and know what they're doing and they're just fantastic and i yeah i trusted those guys you know and and uh i'm like i'm willing to learn i'm here to learn i'm here to so like i said maybe next time we'll we'll do it a different way who knows but for now that's the way it went and yeah cool man and after that you put good with a gun was the single wasn't it because i remember hearing that a while back before i think the record came out was that Mm -hmm like was that always going to be like the single for it did that just seem to resonate more with you was that a personal favorite off the album um well yeah it's the one that had probably um gotten the most feedback Mm. you know and you know a single i mean as far as here's my new single it's, it's not like i was you know 
it was just a taste of something, you mm. know, to put out. It's not like, you know, radio, here's the new hit single of 2020. Here's the bottle, you know, <laughs> listen to this. So I don't know what a single, you know, actually means, at least to what I'm doing in this day and age. But, but yes, I did put that out like two months beforehand. Mm. I was really proud of it. And I thought, yeah, and I've gotten great response to it. And I, you know, as different as it is from most of the songs on there, at least, you know, substance wise, uh, it did start to become more of a favorite of mine, mm. you know, and I, it's a hard one, you know, and so it took a while, but it was all that I got permission, you know, to, to be proud of it from hearing uh, from other people, mm. you know, who got something out of it. And so it started to feel a lot more important to me as, as time went on. Mm. And so I felt like it would be a good introduction. Yeah. Cool. And what was the like songwriting process behind that song what was the initial idea or thought like did was it the lyrics or what was the actual like seed where it clicked for you for that song sure well i remember writing it i don't i'm trying to remember what actually i think the first line of the song was the first thing that i that came out of me and i kind of just went from there i mean i think i wrote that one and and you know within the time span of a couple hours mm. it was just like honey I'm going to be in the bedroom, leave me alone. Like I got this thing, I got to get it out. And it would just, it just sort of happened. Um, but yeah, it was the, uh, the first line. I'm pretty sure I just wrote that down. I'll never forget that day. Cause I was thinking, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's true to life for me. Mm. And so it really wasn't that hard. I mean, it was, it was difficult to write, but it wasn't hard mm. to write. I mean, it, it, the words came out pretty easy, you know, uh, and it's weird is that it was like, just matter of fact, I'm writing this, I'm writing it, I'm writing it. And then when it came time to go to actually fully sing it, you know, in its entirety, mm. that was, when I, that was, it, I had a couple of hard moments with that one. Um, but yeah. Cool. Man. It's, it's such a great emotional song and it's the epitome of, I think what country is in just that great emotional storytelling. And it's really sweet. And with, the band as well it just gives it this like level and depth to it that's just so fucking great i thank thank you i totally agree i mean i've heard from some people who thought oh you, they, they you know i played that one around for probably oh i don't know how long six months eight months before it ever got recorded maybe mm-hmm. longer and so and i played at shows and like my wife and some other friends were like oh you gotta keep that stripped down you gotta keep it acoustic and this and that and I don't know. Once I heard, um, the, for me on that song in particular, it's a pedal steel. Mm. You know, I just do what you do. You're a professional. Run a few takes. I'll listen to it. You know, and see what I think. And he never like. There's little noodly things on electric guitar, which I think are very tasteful and stuff. But that pedal steel, it's just like yeah. a air raid siren the whole time. You know, just hanging out up there. And I think it just gives it an extra bit of haunting ness <laughs> and you did a really really interesting video for this song as well which came out was it last month yes august yeah yeah what what time does time even matter anymore when you're talking about no, things no i don't think so but <laughs> yeah. well, how did that video come about did you have the concept for that to be a video or did the team that made it all approach you or how did that video like come to fruition i had a notion to make a video for that song because i felt like it's a visual would just would just elevate that Mm. story you know tenfold and so i actually about a year ago probably like before i um let's see i'm trying so i finished recording in october i knew i wanted the album to come out early 2020 so yeah probably late fall early winter i started thinking that i wanted to do a video with it and i mm. and i got a hold of one of uh, a friend of mine who's like a playwright um and director and stuff and she started writing up some stuff for me and it it just timing and personal stuff it just didn't work out and mm. i thought well i'm gonna need some green grass shots and here it's covered in snow for six months and it just it wasn't gonna work in time and so i kind of put that on out of my mm. mind for a while but you know with everything delayed this year i thought you know what shit let's just do it you know mm. let's just do it we got all summer let's make it happen 
so no, it was, it was, I took that initial script from my friend and she wasn't able to be involved in it anymore because she was busy with other things. But I found this other guy who's a talented director and I'd seen some of his stuff and uh, put my trust in him and Nate, Nate Nelson of Tree Dome and he really made it work. Mm. Cool, man. And the whole filming of it, like it's weird being a musician and even just playing gigs but then you go into the studio and you're isolating vocal tracks and it's even weirder. And then you get to record a video and you end up either miming or kind of not really playing what you're playing on the record anyway, while you're getting filmed by different people. Was, <laughs> that, was that a weird feeling before? Have you done a video like that before? I have not. No. Um, so I wasn't, and it is weird, you know, but it was a very comfortable setting. And I mean, there was only one guy, the guy who produced it and filmed it and directed mm-hmm. it. It was just one guy, one camera the whole time. And he did all those shots himself. And so I wasn't exactly lip syncing either. I mean, like I was, I was singing. I thought I'm going to actually sing this. I was just playing along. He was playing the song like on his phone or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was just singing it and playing it to get the, the mouth movements yeah. and all that the proper. So it wasn't too bad. You know, I just sang that song, what, three or four more times. So I've done that a hundred times. So it's all good. Come on, from, Like I did a video and I had my phone playing while I was singing along to it. And for some reason I just couldn't get the fucking timing right. So I'd be playing and singing <laughs> and then it'd go to like the quiet part and my phone would be at like 20 seconds ahead of me. And I was like, fuck's sake. And oh, I was like yeah. <laughs> trying to catch that thing. And it's such an awkward, like weird thing. And it's, when you like i'm gonna pick up an acoustic guitar i'm gonna do some gigs you don't realize that at some point you're gonna be getting filmed singing this song in somewhere that's not a gig and you're gonna be taking photos out of somewhere that's not a show and it's a really weird thing that you you know it you know consciously and logically as a musician you're gonna be taking promo shots you're gonna be filming a video or something but when you're actually in it you're like am i the biggest fucking poser in the world for doing this and it's like you have this kind of like or at least i do i have this internal battle of why aren't why can't i just do a gig can't this just be a show instead and it's you have to do i don't know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm just taking it in stride i mean i guess that was my first thing i've ever done i mean i could see what you're saying with that too like i don't know then but then it's all in like the video editing too i think if i had known that it was going to be the camera's focused on me. That's mm. what you're going to see the whole damn time. Is me. <laughs> I would have probably been a little more nervous about mm. it. But I knew that it was just going to be a second here, two seconds there, mm. me or the guitar or whatever. So I didn't really sweat it too much. Like yeah. it, it, it was fine. Cool, man. Well, what I really enjoy with your video and what I'm hoping is I think that Good With A Gun, not only the song, but the video, I think they've set a standard, at least from my perspective, of what independent country music should be. Because oh, we sure. have... We have like videos, obviously, of people playing and, you know, there's always like from the phone video of people recording and stuff. And I think, I don't know if people think it costs a lot to do those type of videos. Obviously, there's money involved in it, but to get a good quality video isn't going to break the bank really anymore, especially if you get someone to work with who knows you. And your video was so well done. And so professionally made that I'm it really, truly, I think has set the standard for what should be going forwards. Dude, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's, um, super awesome compliment. I don't really know <laughs> what to say. Uh, I mean, I guess if that's the case, uh, I mean, I'm really proud of it too. Let's not, you know, get it twisted. I, I, I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy mm. with the way it turned out. And, uh, I think it's good as well. Um, I don't know if I'll, if I'll personally go around saying it's saying it's standard, but I'm glad that you're saying yeah. it. F- feel and, free. Uh, I just, you don't uh, have to say it. You can quote me as saying it. I will you. quote you as saying it, yes. <laughs> and then you'll get away uh, with it. You'll still be able to be <laughs> humble from it. Well, now that I just hope that, uh, that you know, more people continue to be able to see it then. If, if it's as good as, as I keep getting told that it is, mm. you know, I, it's just, I think it probably one of those things where it'd just be a shame if it just, sat there in the uh in the abyss of youtube and you know never got never got uh viewed by anybody else so yeah. thank you <laughs> no it's interesting and what your video did and what i'm trying to hope to do with this podcast and stuff is 
there's so much amazing new technology out there that you can embrace and put together something that looks pretty professional. Like it's never been a better time to be an independent creator. Really, you've got access to pretty much what the pros do for, you can find it for fractions of the price. Cause even if you look at Western AF or gems on VHS, what they're using isn't a massive rig or a massive production budget. It is all pretty much all DIY. And you just need to be able to embrace those technologies and a willingness to. Yeah, or surround yourself with people who <laughs> yeah. who do. Yeah. Helps. yeah, I like that gems on VHS. I've I've that's a really cool little series and it, it makes me curious about submitting something for that, but I gotta look into that more. Oh, you should hundred percent send something to them. <laughs> like they'd eat you up, man. That'd be awesome. But um, with networking things, obviously you're Minnesotan-based. And for some reason, I've found like five or six different artists from Minnesota. I don't know what's in the water up there. There's obviously like <laughs> yourself and Tate McLean and Eli Gardner and the Plowhounds. Is there something about that state which is inherently, not necessarily country, but it's inspiring to artists like yourself? Have you, you ever sat around and talked about the odds of you all being from this area well, over there? I mean, that's just, you know, if you found five of us, that's, you know, that's fantastic. I, I think the Midwest in general, it's, you know, majority rural, mm. you know, I think a lot of us have, I do know Tate. I don't, I've seen Eli Gardner's name. I don't, I don't know him, but I know the plot hounds. I wanted to actually, I'm probably diverting here, but you, uh, you mentioned Noah and the plot hounds at the beginning of the, of this, um, and I know they toured over there in Europe. Was it was a real part of that? Yeah. Did, did so, get... yeah. So they came over in 2018 for a few dates, and it, the same thing with you, me, and Noah, like met on like a Facebook group. I can't remember how, but he was sharing a playlist, and I just said, "Oh, check out one of my songs." He put it on his playlist, and we added each other, and we just started talking from there. And then they came over to the UK. I managed to get on two dates with them then and then weirdly enough they were meant to be touring with another band in 2019 and i was mm. on tour with that band in march when they were meant to be coming over in july so i was like oh you're touring with my friends the plot hounds so i ended up some stroke of fucking luck bullshit in my way onto that tour with their blackwater <laughs> conspiracy and plot hounds so yeah they've been over twice and i'm really fucking hoping they come back because it's super fun to get to hang out with them yeah, they're a fun band, and they're from, uh, well, you know, they're based up in the Twin Cities area. They're not too far from me, but uh, I, I first met them probably, what, five, five years ago or something? Mm -hmm. I mean, we played this, I just had, I was in this cover band, you know, for a long time, bar band, and uh, we opened this show with some other bands from, from down here in the Plot House at uh, the Lee's Liquor Lounge in Minneapolis, and I got to know them a little bit after that. And we've done some shows since, you know, since I kind of mm -hmm. went out on my own, and yeah, I just was curious about that because uh, yeah, I like those guys, and I I know Noah, and he's a he's a stand up dude. So, mm. um, but yeah, as far as Minnesota, something in the water. I mean, yeah, we got a lot of lakes and everything. It's like ten thousand <laughs> lakes or something. Fuck. But uh, I think yeah, uh, you know, you think of southern southern states, whatever. I guess or traditionally, but I think all those lines are pretty much blurred anymore. I mean it's it's a mindset and it's just you know and i suppose people from the city can probably write country music too is you don't have to be rural but yeah for whatever reason um here we here we are here i am talking to you yeah it's interesting man i think there is a stereotype and a perception of country music being a southern thing and obviously that is a big chunk of it and that's where a lot of the stereotypes lie, but it kind of makes it harder to be not necessarily taken seriously as a country artist, but to try and get the same traction when you are from there. Cause people will still assume you are. And then you have people singing in Southern accents who aren't from there, which then muddies <laughs> yeah. the water even more. And it is, you know, I'm not, I'm a country artist, but I'm not from the country. I'm from like a town right next to Liverpool City. So I'm not, you know, rural. I had um, Alex Tempest and Josh Bettis explaining to me the difference between hay bales and straw bales the other day because fuck your 
country problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I? I was, I was Josh. That fucking guy cracks me up. We were. Uh, I text. I've I've messaged with him quite a bit actually, and I said something to him. I can't remember what it was. Uh, he's always cracking jokes, and I said something about like fucking sheep. And he was like, oh, Welsh joke, huh? I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. So I was like, no, man, we, ha- we, we have that here, too. You know, there's jokes about wearing Velcro gloves and putting on, you know, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, yeah, that's the thing where the rest of the, the rest of the UK, you know, gives the Welshman shit about that. Anyways, <laughs> he would probably know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, like, going back to, you know, the non-sheep shagging conversation. Um, <laughs> like country is like a state of mind and an aspect that i think gets overlooked and especially for like cities in the uk which isn't obviously you know steeped in country law that people would necessarily consider there is a history of country music but it's not as run deep it kind of muddies the war with celtic folk and stuff mm-hmm. but have you seen on like your travels and tours any like friction or like if you come up against those like perceptions or prejudices from people in like the midwest or when you've toured further oh such as like i'll be setting up for a gig and i'll have some people come up and say oh what kind of music do you play you know i'm like well Mm. i guess i always say like country-ish you know Mm. because you know learning some lines but yeah you'll definitely get some pushback and i'll go oh gosh oh i probably won't stick around or oh god if you know any uh if you know any um whatever you know uh i don't even know <laughs> you play any Def leopard do you play any whatever whatever it might be yeah, yeah. so you do get some pushback oh your country i like everything but country you know mm, there's definitely. that's always that's always a thing but i whatever i mean i used to let things bother me sometimes but i don't really you know i'm just gonna sing whatever you don't have to sit here and watch me if you don't want yeah you know? i'd rather have two people there who gave a shit than you know than a hundred who don't so yeah, 100%. And I think country is still not necessarily as known here in the, like the mainstream. So whenever I show up to a gig with an acoustic guitar, people always kind of either ask me where my loop pedal is and if I'm going to be doing Ed Sheeran stuff or they oh. just think I'm going to be doing Oasis covers for the entire night. So I'm like, you definitely are going to have a good time if you think I'm here to do Oasis covers. <laughs> but the worst thing I've ever had to deal with, I've got a poster on my wall from it, is... They marketed me as an alt-country musician, which is true. I do consider myself an alt-country musician, but I was in Belgium and someone had got their wires crossed and they'd thought alt-country meant alt-right. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously, like, I'm aware of what I look like and how I look like. So I'm pretty aware that I fit into what a stereotypical alt-right person may may look like with the six-foot-two white long hair beard so i get why people would have that misconception but when i someone came up to me and was like so you support trump and i was like oh shit one i'm british two no (laughs) but it was a weird thing but then it shows how deep ran that kind of like not prejudice but that assumption of country music and then if you put alt in front of something now what that can like connotates as well yeah, no, I've definitely, um, just like so many of the places I play are rural and I grew up rural and, and yeah, I'm singing, you know, roots country music and I look the way I do too, you know, I'm, I'm a tall guy too and I, you know, whatever, some shitty tattoos and, and beard. And so, yeah, it just makes, uh, I, you know, I could be standing at the urinal, you know, and have somebody say this the most ridiculous thing to me you know racist stuff whatever it may be just assuming that i'm one of them and i'm going to instantly agree you know and i've had to look at it, a lot of people and be like what makes you think you know <laughs> that you're what makes you comfortable enough to say that to mm. me you know that look the way i do like no that shit ain't happening yeah. so uh yeah i forget what the original question was <laughs> <laughs> no it is to do with like that perception of country music oh yeah, yeah yeah that on your travels but with traveling around stuff i realized you know tate mclean how did you guys meet was that through gigs together and or was that, that was through- so i find that was the whole man so that is another uh 
thing that would put the the good of social media versus the bad mm. on a hot good a higher up here because i even though he's from the same state i only met him through and maybe on these same online groups have you seen the um the honky tonk hotel mm. yeah that's jim yeah. jim and uh, victoria guthrie they're down in the kansas city uh area and through whatever some means i found out about them and i got booked they booked me in a show there and I stayed at their place. That's the Honky Tonk Hotel. You know, they have a setup mm. for musicians. And Jim told me, do you know Tate McLean? I said, no. He said, he's from Minnesota. I think you two should know each other. And that was it. Yeah. And then I literally, I, mess, I found Tate online. And I messaged him and I said, hey, Jim down in uh, Missouri tells me that we need to know each other. And that was <laughs> kind of all it took. And, uh, whether it was a, a fluke or, or like a, you know, savant type of thing that happened from jim there like it was uh i'm really happy that happened because tate mm -hmm. and i have become good good friends and um i mean he's still on like four four and a half hour drive from me you know this is a big state but yeah. uh but yeah yeah I've, so i've only known tate a little over well about a year it was yeah a little over a year yeah cool man and with your state and things do you try and find musicians local to yourself to try and gig with or play shows with or is it kind of just serendipitously you'll book a show or you'll get booked at a venue and they'll be like we've put on this guy as well and then that's how it networks or have you ever tried to because in the uk it's really weird to try and find people who like your music and it is one of them will be in scotland and one of them will be down in mm. wales and if you find someone local you latch onto them straight away so it have you made that effort to find people or is it kind of they've been recommended to you by someone uh both mm. both i mean i um yeah I, I do at times actively seek out um other people i mean most of the time i'm so wrapped up in my own stuff that it's like you know i've heard this person's name and i've heard this musician's mm. name for a long time but i'm always gigging or i'm always this yeah. and that and i just never got a chance um so it's both i mean most of the gigs that I've booked and played, I'm, I'm usually, you know, just the only person on the bill because I'm booking, you know, bar shows and yeah. stuff. And like here in town where I live, there's not like in Rochester, there's not clubs per mm -hmm. se. So there's not like if you go to play with your band, you're probably the only band unless you insist that you bring a, a band with, mm -hmm. which is what I started doing, you know, bringing Tate down to open the show and other people. I So I do seek out other musicians. I try to help people with tours, you know, in normal times. Uh, other like-minded people and try to put them on shows of mine if I can, but, uh, it's a mixed bag. I mm. seek them out. I've been sought out. Uh, I don't take any of it for granted. Yeah. Cool, man. I think that is the important thing to not take it for granted because I remember in Liverpool, there isn't like a country scene. There isn't anyone playing the type of stuff I was playing. And for ages, it felt like I was just headbutting a wall trying to break into a scene that just didn't give a shit. So I started just like going further afield and finding different artists. Then I started finding, you know, people down south or I traveled to like the Netherlands to play and actually get somewhere. And it was like, oh my God, you just have to try and just keep head button the right place. Sure. Not just, you know, if it's local, it doesn't have to be so local. Just try and expand your horizons a little bit and you'll eventually find someone. But I think... Sure. Because you're saying it's a four and a half hour drive to Tate, who's on the same state. It's only like, if I drive four hours, I can be in another country. So right. I think the UK mindset's quite narrow in terms of that. So it's, especially if you're UK, you just have to kind of expand your perceptions and viewpoints to just try and get out there as much as possible. But what has it been like gigging? Because you've done a few bar shows recently, haven't you, around your area? Um, I have done... Uh... <clears throat> I mean, a few, not much. This summer has been all outdoor stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a, I had a residency like a, 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 every Wednesday in July at this brewery here in town, which was great. And uh, I've played, I haven't had many bar, <laughs> bar gigs this summer, actually. I'm trying to think of what I have done, but it hasn't been much. Mm. Mostly back, I've done a few backyard parties and like a wedding and <laughs> just whatever I, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever I can take. And, uh, yeah, normally I'd be playing a lot of bars. Mm. You're making me sad, man. <laughs> but what's it been like with the weddings, like the outdoor gigs, and especially like the back door or the back 
like the parties and things, what has that been like in terms of reaction and things? I assume people have just kind of starved for music. Sure. Well, I mean, it's not in the, it's not anything. I've always done that stuff, mm. you know, if, so it's just, it's not an exception. It's just become the only yeah. <laughs> option, you know, but no, it's been great. I mean, it's been, uh, people that I've previously known, mm. you know, uh, so it's been all good. It's been all good. Cool, man. And you said you were looking at recording some more stuff or getting some stuff out later this year. Is there, like, is there a concrete plan for that? Do you have the songs written? I have the, I have the songs. Yeah, I have the songs. Um, it's just shit, man. I mean, I could sit here and bitch, I suppose, but my mind is just <laughs> it's in like 20 different places mm-hmm. and then it's depressed and then it's anxious and worrying about. So, yeah, no, I have the songs. I have a basic idea of what I want to do. Um, but yeah, nothing concrete. Mm. Um, I, I'm not, I don't even want to speak too much to it. Cause, but my initial thought is that I don't think I'm going to do like the full production. Like I mm. did for I don't, drums and the whole thing, possibly light percussion, whatever, but it's got, a, it's got more of a theme. It's more conceptual, mm. this thing that I'm doing. And it is, it is going to be an EP cause I've got this little bit collection of songs and uh i have some other songs that don't fit in at all i have it's, it's, it, my brain's been going like a split personality i've got like these drinking you know rowdy like drinking songs mm. or whatever and then i've got this ha- handful of songs that are moodier and more uh more um somber mm. you know just a totally different theme and i I, I considered maybe a side A, side B, but I thought, you know what, just to keep myself moving and keep producing, I'm going to do this first, the CP first. Cool, man. And with like the rowdy drinking songs, do you approach them necessarily any different to how you'd approach the more somber stuff? Is there a, like a process? Not or, really. No, no, I don't, I mean, I don't even know what my process, I just, <laughs> Like I said, I've never been like, I'm going to write a song. Yeah. I'm going to write two songs. It's whatever. It just happens. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's so many variables, man. Like sometimes I can write a really serious, sad song and, you know, whatever. And it just happens in an hour. And then you can write this pretty simple kind of silly, you know, rowdy thing. And then I've got a chorus and a verse, but God, I need another verse and I just can't come up mm. with anything. So I just put it aside and I keep looking at it every month or whatever. And nothing. so there's, I don't know. I don't really have a process, man. I wouldn't <laughs> do good in, in like teaching a songwriter's course or anything like that. <laughs> I think it's, it's really weird because songwriting can be commodified and mainstream and it can be like cranking them out, like, you know, Motown or music row or whatever, but it's really weird. That's why I've been enjoying talking to songwriters like yourself because there's not necessarily a formula or a process behind it, but you still consistently write songs. So there's a subconscious process to things that I really enjoy. Over this like hour talk, at some point, if we like look back, it'll be like this is the process, like in quotes. And it's mm. just not necessarily chaos, but it's a lot of just inspiration from different angles sure mixed with time basically oh yeah well yeah it's i kind of thought yeah time is a big one i thought when when everything you know when march came around and everything was shut down and you know just the whole calendar was just erased you know wiped away i thought well at least yeah it might be a good time to probably get some writing done probably get some shit man you know i'm home with my kids all day i need a quiet you know there's a quiet moment in the house and mm. just so you start beating yourself up god i should have written a lot more and, you know and, I don't know, we're just hard on ourselves, I think, in general. Mm-hmm. At least I am. Yeah. <laughs> Most songwriting artists and musicians that I know. Yeah, I don't think anyone's really taken, like, people, like, have been taking this to heart to try and be creative, and it's good if you are, but I've been getting texts off people being like, I've not written anything or I've not even played guitar, and I'm like, so? Enjoy yourself, and it'll come eventually. The worst thing you can do right. is put pressure on yourself. Yeah, I think forcing it yeah, is anti- is sort of like uh, uh, what's the word uh, counterproductive you know mm. counterintuitive at least for me I mean maybe like you said there's the formulaic sort of Nashville songwriter or whatever and stuff where people can't sit down in a boardroom with me and crank all yeah. these hits or whatever but yeah I don't I don't know how to do that 
Yeah. Well, we're coming up to the hour mark, man. So I'll I'll let you go. And thanks so much for giving me your afternoon. It's been really appreciated. But is, you've got the EP that you're kind of working on. Is there anything else you kind of set your sights on for the rest of the year or the future that you're like working towards? Man, I am just I'm crossing my fingers that I don't know that we start getting our shit together and we can resume normal gigging, mm. you know, to some extent or to some more frequent occasions. Um, so it's been kind of hard to plan anything really. So no, aside from um, this project that I do have at the front of my mind now, I know that's that's kind of taking up the forefront. I mean, mm. I'm waiting on. One night in the Crystal Lounge, like I um, uh, I have that. Well, you, I think you ordered or got. You were talking about it. Uh, I got that on vinyl coming, so I am still. There's been some problems in production, and blah blah blah. But that's finally, I think now it's finally uh, on course again <laughs> for the third time. So I'm looking forward to that. I got to try to push those records out. You know, um, yeah, yeah. That's probably about it. And <laughs> driving myself crazy. Cool, man. Well, I know I've got a few UK pre-orders to be throwing your way to get some shirts and some vinyl. Awesome, you guys have been awesome. I want to talk for another hour. Yeah. You guys, uh, uh, God, I can't say enough. I'm just glad that I hooked up with you guys in the road country. I want to shout that out. I mean, mm. I saw that your podcast just, you know, you kind of linked that up with them, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't I want to keep talking, but I do got to. Yeah, I got you to do too, I yeah. guess. <laughs> well, what I'll do is I'll get another hour booked in with you when you've got your EP coming out. If you hit me up, we'll do another hour of this, man, because this has been an absolute treat, dude. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, cool, man. Cool. I'm not good at these, I don't feel like. So uh, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for getting some, some words out of me. No, this has been awesome, man. It's been great, but I'll <laughs> let you go and enjoy the rest of your day, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too, man. Good night. Thanks. Take care. Bye. See you, Mike. And there we have it, guys. That's episode 17 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. I'm so happy that I get to do all these things. And Luke's such a great guy and an interesting person to talk to. His album's phenomenal. I can't wait to see what he does in the future. So please go check out Luke Hendrickson's work. This week has been a busy one for me. I managed to get Ben Kaplan and Bella White's podcast done in one day. They will be up next, so stay tuned. Until then, stay safe. Listen to The Next Life, listen to Into the Van, go leave us a review on Apple or Amazon or iTunes or whatever it is. And yeah, stay safe and have fun, guys. Peace.